Good morning to you folks. Um, I'm looking down on a congregation where there are a good number of faces that I I don't recognize, uh, or are certainly people whom I don't know very well. So uh, let me add to the welcome that Dave's already given you this morning. It's, It's a joy to have you with us here today. We're going to be looking at God's Word in a moment. In particular, we're going to continue with a series of studies um, looking at the church, and the the title we have for this series is Gospel-Centered Church. It would be good if you had open before you the passage uh, which Jeff read for us a moment ago, page 744. We We won't be preaching on that text only, but we will be looking at it in a few moments' time. Let's, let's pray just now that we'd know God's help uh, for these next few minutes. Father God, we thank you for your church. We thank you that many of us gathered here this morning can look back on the past or even in the present, recognize how you've been good to us and blessed us through this this gathering, this community of people called the church. But Lord, we want to recognize that it's your church, not ours. We don't want to make this into our thing. We always want this to be your thing. So help us listen to you. Help us to pay attention to what you say and help us to to always respond to what you call us to be as a church. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're gathered here um, 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. This is what we do. Dave's done a great job of leading us so far and of talking to the kids. Um, others have helped us with, with music with, to help us to sing uh, and played their part in the service. And, and just now I'm going to do my best to share for a few moments uh, with you from God's Word. Then we'll bring our offering, then there'll be more prayer and singing, and then the whole thing's going to be over. And that's how we conduct Sunday morning worship. If somebody asked us on the way out the door, what did you do in there this last hour? What was that all about? We might say, this is how we worship God. I think that would be a, a pretty standard way to think about what we're doing here. This is how we worship God. I want you to imagine for a moment that a visitor bursts in during the last hymn and he flings wide open those, those brass-handled doors at the back and you hear the clatter and, and a few of you turn and you, you see a, a guy firing down the aisle at a queer rate of knots. He looks like a cross between like Billy Connolly and, and David Bellamy. So if you get that picture in your mind... That's what this guy looks like. And some recognize him. It's it's Isaiah, a guy in the community known to be very outspoken and particularly outspoken about the church. So he's firing down the aisle, and he looks like he's heading straight for this microphone, ready to let rip. Now, Brian's superbly drilled welcome team spotted the danger straight away. This is a Presbyterian church after all, and stuff like that doesn't happen. So 
Graham Dewhurst takes him down with a perfectly executed rugby tackle. Before he hits the ground, three other fellas are on top of him, have lifted him, and are dragging him straight back out that aisle where he's just come in. They manage to get him out of the building, but they can't stop him from, from shouting. And they can't stop us from hearing what he has to say. Hear the word of the Lord, the multitude of your sacrifices. What are they to me? When you come and appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. The guy seems to have a lot more to say for himself, but that's all that we catch before he's, he's moved on and the background noise of the Newtonards Road takes over once more. I wonder what we'd make of that. It's not going to happen. I, I hope. <laughs> I, I, I don't think Isaiah or anybody like him is going to visit uh, and act out this scene here this morning. But I wonder what we make of these words. These are the words of Isaiah, God's spokesperson to his people, taken here from chapter 1 of his prophecy. I wonder if they have anything to say to us this morning as we, we think together about what kind of a church God calls us to be. Worship is a very frequent subject of discussion or a bone of contention in the modern church. But actually, that's nothing new. People have been arguing about worship and what it is or should be ever since people began to, to be the people of God. So it's a common theme in the Old Testament and a common theme for the biblical prophets like Isaiah. In, in another part of Isaiah, the one that we read together this morning, Isaiah 58, there's a really interesting thing going on. I don't know if you noticed it. If you have that page open before you, page 744. In verse 2, God says to the people of the people, day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. So there's people here who, who ostensibly want to know God. And the people themselves, in their minds, they, they're entirely genuine. They want to know God. Look at verse 3. Why have we fasted and you haven't seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you haven't noticed? These guys want the presence of God, but for some reason they have this sense that he's distant. That he's, he's not coming to them. Well, what's the problem? The problem is that their worship is divorced from the rest of their lives. God says, on the day of your fasting, so that's your, your worship day, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? a day acceptable to the Lord. So even, even as they worship or as they fast and they pray, these guys exploit their workers and they fight among themselves. And they seem to think that's okay. You can worship one minute 
and you can live a totally different kind of life the next. God doesn't like it. It turns out that we can't compartmentalize our lives like that. That has no integrity before God. What kind of worship is it that pleases God? Look at verses 6 and 7. Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Love for God only pleases God when it's expressed in love for other people. If it remains only as, a, as a, an expression, as a, as a heart movement upwards towards God that doesn't prove itself genuine, it doesn't please God. Folks, our singing really, really pleases God. I absolutely believe that. It does so whenever it expresses a a grateful heart, a a real reverence for who God is, and a desire to live a, a life submitted to Him. But here's what we must avoid. We must avoid mistaking the form for the substance, saying that that worship is the substance of what God asked for us. You see, it seems to me, and I'm finally beginning to to get this straight in my head, singing is not what it's all about. When the singing is a natural outpouring of who we really are and how we're living before God, then it's a lovely thing that pleases God. But, But singing and worship services like this, if they're detached from the rest of our lives, then they make God sick. Then they become empty hypocrisy. That's the message of the prophets. Good music, good orders of service, good preaching, they don't make for good worship unless they're flowing out of genuine lives. Folks, let's look at another Isaiah passage together. Isaiah chapter 12 on page 697. I'll give you a moment to flick that up. Page 697, Isaiah 12. In verse 4, Isaiah calls on the people. He says, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name. But he doesn't then invite them to a worship service. He calls them on mission. He says, make known among the nations what he's done. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Whenever it does go on to say, sing to the Lord, for he's done glorious things, let this be known to all the world. So even our, our singing, our praise, is supposed to be something that, that, that's outward, that's connecting with other people. Folks, the world won't hear 
the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we imagine that singing worship songs in worship services in church buildings is the sum total of what God's called us to, if we imagine that that's the the life that God has for us, then many, many people aren't going to hear the good news of Jesus. God calls us to a much greater act of worship. And and the greatest worship that we can do is bring more worshipers. Bring more and more and more worshipers. The greatest worship we can offer God is to share the good news of Jesus. What does that mean for a, a gathering like this, for a church that's trying to learn to be the church that God's calling us to be? Folks, it seems to me that the goal of our meetings together should be to encourage one another to worship God the way God wants us to. So it's not just here and now. If Sunday worship's only about the hour and a quarter that it takes, then, then it's failed. The writer to the Hebrews, when he talked about not stopping meeting together, he said, meet together to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That's how you know when you've been to a good worship service. It's when you've, you've seen something in God's Word or when God's Spirit's prompted you to, to go out and live for Jesus in the week that lies ahead. So that's the job of the people at the front here. Whoever is leading the service or preaching is to, to encourage you to, to spur you on towards love and good deeds, to spur you on to live the whole of your life for Jesus. It's possible that I'm going to press a few buttons here just now, but I'm increasingly, I, I hope, learning what the Bible teaches about worship. The New Testament church There's no talk in the New Testament really about the church gathering to worship God. What they did was they gathered to encourage each other in a particular way of life. So worship in the New Testament wasn't primarily about singing or about liturgy. It's about a life lived in service of God. I think this is an area where if the church is to, to live once more under God's blessing and to be a powerful vehicle for the gospel, I think some questions need to be asked. I think the church needs to to be radical, to go back to its roots, and to become, as we have been saying, a a gospel-centered church. Nothing I've said so far would surprise you, I don't think, if you're the kind of person who's around church and and pays a bit of attention. Because we talk always in church about worship being about the whole of life. But here's the thing. We say that worship is about the whole of life, but we still act as though what happens between 11 and 12.15 on a Sunday and between 7 and 8 p.m. in the evening is what it's all about. We still act as if we put so much energy into those meetings. And honestly, I can can see as I, I look around the church these days that that a lot of energy goes in, in a lot of places, to putting on a good show in those public worship services. That is worship. That's how we talk about worship. 
Folks, our meetings have become the focus of our church life. Whereas it's our mission that ought to be the focus of our church life. Even our language gives us away. We talk about worship services. As if turning up to sing some songs and to listen to a sermon once a week is our service to God. Tick. Done it. Sometimes it feels so grim that actually it feels like we've done, done a good shift just surviving a service. We've made that, that's, that's our Christian service, to come and survive a worship service once a week. Whenever we talk about service, we should be talking about something very different. And that is the, the, the words and the deeds that we take into our community to, to share Jesus with people. That's service. That's, that's a Christian worship service. I think, folks, that this, in, in case I'm missing you, in case this is sounding like some intellectual distinction, or let me try and personalize this in how I think God's been challenging me recently. I think this has changed my view of what it is to be a good Christian. I think God's been changing that for me. For one reason or another, I'd grown up thinking that Christian faithfulness was all about loyalty to the church. So the people who were respected in church communities, the heroes of the church were the ones who were at loads of meetings. The more stuff you were doing around the church, the more meetings you were at, the more you were a good Christian living faithfully for Jesus Christ. Busyness in the church became synonymous with Christian faithfulness. But then I began to read passages like these in Isaiah this morning. I began to to pay more attention to what Jesus said and did. And it turns out, I I think I've got it wrong. I don't know if you're, maybe you didn't get it wrong the way I have. But I've got it wrong about what faithful Christian living actually might look like. It turns out that living well for God isn't simply about going to meeting after meeting after meeting. It's about growing in Jesus and inviting others to do the same. The meetings all play second fiddle to that. I I sense that I, I might possibly make one or more people cross this morning. I have no, no desire to do that. I hope I haven't left you feeling that I think that worship is unimportant. Actually, I want to say quite the opposite. I don't believe that worship is unimportant. I believe that worship is so important that trying to catch it in an hour a week can't work. Worship's the whole of life lived for God, Monday to Saturday as well as Sundays. Paul talks about giving our bodies as living sacrifices, Romans 12. That is the worship that pleases God. Folks, let's pause for a moment. And remember what we've learned so far in this series, Gospel-Centered Church.
couple of weeks ago, we said that the gospel-centered church is a place where mission is at the center. So sharing Jesus is, is the core activity. That's what we do, and it, it influences every, everything that we do. Last week, we said that the gospel-centered church is a place where mission is for everyone. We, we recognize that not everyone's trained or, or even equipped or gifted to be a, a, an evangelist, to go and approach people and talk to strangers about Jesus. But we did say that we're to learn to live lives that, that encourage other people to see that Christ is with us and to then answer any questions that they might direct to us. This morning, the idea that I want to leave with you is that mission has no walls in the gospel-centered church. We've seen a a biblical definition of of worship that's much, much broader than than Sundays and and this gathering. It's, It's the whole of our lives lived for God's glory. And I want to think for the last couple of minutes about what what impact that kind of understanding might have on our mission. Fred has been trying to get to know George in the office for for a few months now. He's tried a few times to invite him to church, and every time he does, the conversation just fizzles out. George doesn't seem very interested. He's tried to invite him to Christianity Explored, and, and it's just becoming more and more clear that every time Fred talks to George about church, that George just isn't interested. He doesn't see himself as a church kind of person. And Fred doesn't really know what to do next. He wants George to become a Christian, but George isn't interested in church. And then things take a, a turn even, even for the worse, because George comes and invites him to a night out at the dogs, at the dog racing track. Now he, he's thinking, goodness, what are the guys in church going to think about this? You know, I don't know what I think about this. Should I go to this? Is that okay? Is this a good way for me to be with George? The thing that terrifies him most of all is that he knows that if he goes, he'll be entirely out of his comfort zone. A couple of years ago, uh, quite early in the church community and change process that we were running in the church here, we offered our discipleship groups the opportunity to go to the bookies in Ballyhackamore. There's one um, just on the other side of the road, for those of you who don't regularly use it. Um, And then to cross the road and go over to the point to have a chat about their experience in the bookies. The point of that experience was to allow us to go out of our comfort zones into a place where we don't know the culture at all and to, to see how that felt. To go to a place where we'd feel like outsiders where we might not know what to do, where we'd probably feel very embarrassed and exposed. Friends, the truth is church is the place where we feel comfortable, but it's also the place where a lot of our friends would feel massively uncomfortable. They don't sit in hard wooden benches on red mats in any other walk of life. They don't sing to a screen. Well, maybe they do, actually, at home, and, you know, karaoke on the TV. 
they don't do, a, this is really, really strange for unchurched people, what we do here. It's become a world tap to us. And the problem is we have tied up so much of our evangelism, so much of our outreach with this kind of experience. So basically the offer is come and hear about Jesus in our place, on our terms, at our times. And if you're not interested, well, you'll just not hear about Jesus because that's how we do it. Come to church on Sundays, come to a Christianity Explored course. But where does that leave the ones like George? The guys who are much happier at the dogs? Much happier in the bookies that I've just been talking about? How do they get to hear anything about Jesus? If all of our outreach is in here and inside these walls? Surely the answer is that we need to get out. We need to get out more. We need to get out of these Christian ghettos that we have been creating. Rather than building these structures that, that increasingly cause us to spend more and more of our time in here, we need to restructure our time in here so that it it equips us and inspires us for out there. In here is important. Don't misunderstand me. It's crucial. But in here is all about out there. In the book which inspired this series for me, Steve Timmis and Tim Chester, they suggest that we can support those who stand for the gospel in public life or in their profession rather than burden them with church responsibilities. And they ask, why not strip away some of those meetings, downsize church, and give Christians more time to spend outside the ghetto? They're describing a a mission outside the walls. Let me close. We began this morning by reminding ourselves that worship's much bigger than than music and church services. Worship's life. The whole of life lived for God and His glory. And if the whole of our lives is lived for God, then our mission's going to happen lots of other times and places than, than here in these buildings. Jesus and our sharing of Him can't be limited. Our mission has no walls. We can share Jesus anywhere, anytime. You'll be glad to know that I think about these sermons that I preach for myself always before I share them with you. And I wondered, where does this one impact on me? I think it leaves me with two phone calls to make. There's a person I know who would appreciate the help of this community. I need to make a phone call to make the arrangements for that to happen. It's a person who has nothing to do with this church. I'm not their minister. They're not on my membership list. They're outside. But I need to find time and and prioritize time to make that phone call 
and make sure that happens. There's another phone call I need to make, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you about it because it's been on my mental to-do list, not for weeks or months, but years. There's a guy I used to work with who lives quite nearby here, and I bump into him occasionally. And every time I do, we have the same conversation. Great to see you. We must catch up properly sometime. And I never phone him. I have this excuse for myself that I'm too busy. Too busy with stuff in here. How will they hear if nobody from in here will go out and tell them? In the gospel-centered church, mission has no walls. I need to make a couple of phone calls. What do you need to do? Let's pray.